You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. And let's get into our science and technology news for the week. If you follow robots and robotics, and there's a thing called Ibo, and this was uh, released back in the 1990s by Sony. It was a really cute little mm-hmm. robotic dog that did a few things. Not that much. It was kind of limited by the technology at the time. I don't think it was cheap even then. And it kind of went through, I think, until about the early 2000s. It was a very popular product, I think, mm-hmm. particularly in Japan where... Pets weren't um, necessarily... Yeah, you're living you really in a want, small yeah. flat and you may not be allowed mm-hmm. or it may be difficult to have a pet mm-hmm. jammed in there. You're jammed enough anyway in, in you know... In a small in a, space, in a, yeah. In, Having a robot made some sense, and uh, I think the Japanese do like their robots generally. So it was called Ibo, released by Sony, was a pretty successful product. Now released, well, it was actually showcased at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, back in January this year in Las Vegas, that annual show that they have. The new version of Ibo, it's about to go on sale in Japan, and the new version is kind of a step up from the old one in the sense that it uses machine learning and AI to make it a lot more smarter and yep. able to recognize your voice and it's got little OLED eyes that are very expressive and the the, the consensus and I've watched some videos on YouTube is that it's a really cute dog you know or so robot is, dog is it acting like a google home assistant as well no, or like a no, siri no. so it's got its own proprietary it's software it's only yeah. trying to be a dog yeah it's got a special sort of smart bone mm-hmm. that it'll pick up and it can play with a ball it reacts if you pat it so it's got it's got a camera in its nose mm-hmm. so it can uh, face face id you mm-hmm. i'm not actually sure what the underlying software platform is mm-hmm. whether it's something off the shelf or whether it's been developed by sony just for the, this particular creature mm-hmm. or robot i should say its tail wags it responds to padding it's also got a camera in the middle of its back or sort of just towards the sort of base of its tail pointing straight up at the ceiling and that allows it to navigate and work out where it is in a oh, space yeah. Yeah. it ain't cheap it's going to cost in the order of $2,350 Australian at current exchange rates to the yen and US $1,860 in US currency so at the moment it's only on, on sale in Japan there is apparently an English language version of the creature that was shown in Las Vegas at that trade show it actually was able to recognise English voice commands Mm -hmm. so presumably they are going to release an international version for the rest of the world outside Japan at some point if you're interested 22 actuators enable more realistic movement than previous models uh, OLED eyes and that machine learning so it can kind of build up a relationship with you over time which is look I think I, I can see this thing being a huge hit. It's very, very cute. Yeah. The Japanese love cute. And I actually saw a, lo- a product launch again on YouTube in Tokyo. And I think they must have had a lottery or something. They were giving some away to some people who'd won the, mm. the first batch of these things and there was a guy who still had his old one yeah and, and, he was, and he was hoping and he didn't have it with him when he collected his prize of the new one it comes in kind of a fur-lined box like mm-hmm. a sort of doggy bed <laughs> this guy who collected it who had the original one from the uh, 90s said i i hope that both the dogs become friends <laughs> so does it allow sort of running around of the yeah, apartment it'll run, it'll, yeah it'll run i mean not not at huge speed it yeah. tends to kind of be a bit sort of robotic in its movements so, so it is it's not necessarily a smooth action it's no, it's not weird it's got legs yeah, okay, so it actually yeah. does walk yeah right. and if you're a real robot lover you might want to also check out another robot that's been developed at osaka university manufactured by kokoro company and first unveiled it back in 2003 it's called actroid i presume is uh, actress 
droid combined. Mm-hmm. It was released back in 2003, but apparently it's getting smarter and less inhibited. So we are probably headed towards a Blade Runner type scenario <laughs> in not that uh, distant future. Now, moving on with the news, if you wanted to collect spiders, mm. not that you necessarily do, I tend to not like spiders that much. <laughs> If you were interested in collecting, if you if you were a, a, an arachnologist is the word for someone who, who studies spiders, then the simplest way to get them from uh, trial and error and from experience is just get yourself a four-wheel drive with an old diesel engine that mm-hmm. vibrates, park it somewhere where you know there's lots of spiders, and basically that's pretty much everywhere in Australia, mm-hmm. maybe not so much in urban environments, although I think they've done pretty well there as well. But you park it there and the vibrations, and vibrations are a really important way of communication in nature, in the animal kingdom. And this I thought was really interesting. In in the week before the massive earthquake in Aceh, Mm -hmm. I think back in 2004, all of the hooved animals moved up into the hills of Aceh. They could feel the vibration coming. Yeah, right. So they got away from the coastline Mm. and they presumably did better at surviving Mm -hmm. that big tsunami that hit than a lot of other uh, humans, for example, who didn't have that sense. Mm. So vibration attracts spiders. There's an arachnologist up in Queensland by the name of Dr. Robert Raven. He's tested all sorts of ways, laying baits, going out and picking spiders up out of their nests Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. He found the best way and the most effective way to capture or to attract and then capture spiders and for study purposes was just to leave his his all his drive parked mm. and that attracted the arachnophobes to or sorry not the arachnophobes that's that's me <laughs> the arachnids of all different shapes and sizes to the underside of his vehicle they tend they tend to try to find the center point mm-hmm. so it freaks them out they they actually behave irrationally mm-hmm. they forget their instincts about survival and they just go towards the vibration it bothers them it agitates them so if you are an arachnophobe then you don't want to leave your car no, idling that's and, right yeah and there was a woman in queensland i think in brisbane who had a big four-wheel drive with a diesel engine and and she was really angry that a wolf spider was found on her child's school bag and she was going to take it up with the school and even was considering legal action she contacted the the spider authorities and they explained to her you know they said oh did you happen to have a four-wheel drive did you leave it running before you got in it this morning uh, yes, how did you know that? And she'd also put her kid's school bag there. The spider had got on board, so that was an example of it happening mm-hmm. unwittingly. So yeah, if you've got a big all-wheel drive, that can be the reason. And you often get spiders in the door jams yep. of your cars. Mm-hmm. So again, the vibration is attracting the spiders. I had a spider in my uh, old Commodore, which was in the visor, the sun visor, that fell down on me when I was driving. Oh, and, yeah, that, that, was, that wasn't a nice yeah, experience. freaks you out, doesn't yeah. it? And you don't know whether, if they're on the windshield, you don't know whether they're on the inside or the outside. And yeah. that, it's, it's, people have accidents, people have car crashes. Yeah. In fact, I know, I know a child who uh, had two instances. Uh, one, the spider was on the inside of her window in the car. Thinking uh, he was in the and, outside. And she's strapped into a baby seat, so she can't even get mm-hmm. out of it. Mm-hmm. And there's a spider right there. And another time in a separate car, there was also one that had got onto her lap that had to be brushed off. So she's now developed a serious Mm, case of arachnophobia, unfortunately. Now, SpaceX is going to launch an internet service that's satellite-based. And they're planning to do this aboard one of their own Falcon 9 rockets. It's actually a part of a commercial package. So there's a a Spanish satellite that's being launched as well. Then there's these two prototype internet broadcasting satellites known as Microsat 2A and 2B. Uh, Apparently the FCC, the uh, Federal Communication body over there that that, uh, governs this area and internet and so on broadcasting have given the go-ahead for the test mission the application from spacex describes the test objectives
initiatives. In addition to proving out the development of the satellite bus and related subsystem, the test program for the Microsat 2A and 2B spacecraft will also validate the design of a phased array broadband antenna communications platform. The current technology with a satellite that might connect people in, say, rural rural Australia has mm. kind of a focal point. There can be a slow a lag time to connect to that satellite. You might have a high ping or a lag to, to connect, whereas my understanding is these satellites will be much closer to Earth and there'll be so much more of them that they actually speak to each other. So they're so kind of microsatellites. Microsatellites. Yeah. And you, you're not necessarily having to focus on a one particular satellite that's stuck in so that geostationary orbit above you. Yep. They can continue to move around and they'll continue to talk to each other. And Really what it should do is provide internet to anyone wherever you are in the yeah, world. So you won't yeah. need a sat phone to get yeah. it. You won't have that expensive cost of getting it in remote locations yeah. via satellite, the conventional means. Now, it still may have issues in sort of high tree locations or you know high density locations with high, lots of concrete. There's still an issue potentially with that. But this is potential to bring internet to people that have no access to it at this stage. Which so, is fantastic. Yeah. So the developing world, Africa, the third world, a lot of places which may have struggled before will, will now potentially get it with this technology and Elon Musk has gone on to say because his real goal, his real fascination, his, his fixation is Mars and colonising Mars and he's developing the yeah. BFR, the yes. rocket, the big Falcon rocket. Yeah, sure and, it's Falcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's going to have the, the enormous lift capacity, I think, of uh, 10 million pounds of thrust at launch, which is way more than the Saturn V moon rocket and even more than the SLS, the Space Launch System, which is being developed by NASA to uh, give it a, a big heavy lift capability. Who knows when, when and if this technology is going to be able to be developed, that big rocket, but they had a success with the Falcon Heavy recently, mm-hmm. so why not? And the proceeds from the satellite swarm that delivers the internet to the whole world, mm-hmm. the proceeds of that business is apparently going to be put towards funding and uh, and promoting the Mars colony. Yeah. That's the business plan there. And look, just finally, collisions and near misses are becoming a bit of a, an issue between drones mm-hmm. and larger aircraft like helicopters. In fact, just recently there was a helicopter crash in South Carolina and that was allegedly caused by a manoeuvre that was required to avoid crashing into a drone. There have also been other instances of commercial and uh, civil aviation being affected by drones. There are some regulations. You're not supposed to fly over 400 feet, I think. You're supposed to be able to keep these things within eye shot. But how you regulate that is a bit of an issue. And apparently bird strikes on larger aircraft pale into insignificance by comparison because of the metal parts inside a drone. So the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration over in the US, is looking to tighten up regulations for drones Mm. because of the risk to other larger aircraft. And you've got a story that relates to that same thing. I yeah, think. well, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, CASA, here in Australia, mm. they're the governing body behind air safety and control. They have partnered up with DJI, who are a major manufacturer of drones. They're a Chinese uh, manufacturer. Mm. And basically what they've done is they've worked with DJI to install software on the app which you use to operate your DJI drone. Mm-hmm. And when you go to fly, and this is as of last week, so February 14th was when it started. As mm. of last week, if you're a drone operator you open your app you'll actually now see some questions on the app and until you get i think you have to do a full 10 out of 10 as a pass rate until you get every question right you can't fly your drone so it has questions like uh, you know before you every flight you should check uh, you know you got multiple choice answers and it's you know check you're allowed to fly in an area and ensure the drone's battery is charged check the propellers are securely fastened and d all of the above and then there's other simple questions how many drones can you fly at a time is it one as many as you want 10 three so the thing is you've got unlimited attempts to uh, try this test out 
out. So if you don't get it right, it doesn't mean you shut out from the app. You can go straight back on and redo it and right. improve your score. But what it's trying to do is just make sure that you understand what the you know requirements are. If you're going to fly in this space, mm. what it doesn't do is address, it might ask you the question, can't fly in this area, or you know, you need to check with that. But then it's up to the actual operator to you know make the investigation. Can they fly in this area? You know, for example, we're near to Tyab Airfield, not far from here. Mm. And that's not an area you'd want to be flying drones around in. No. So if you're going to fly drones within that area, I'd probably think within a kilometre of that space at least, you're probably going to be speaking directly to the airport and seeing what you know restrictions and requirements are. It doesn't stop you from flying in that. It, it just basically says you know you need to ask the questions and a number of other factors. And the reason why this is getting becoming an issue in America and, and probably as well in Australia is that drones are becoming more and more popular. The price is coming down. More and more people are getting them. They're used by businesses. They're used by real estate agents. They've got a lot of uh, commercial applications as well. There's no question they're useful things, but they pose serious privacy issues. I don't like sitting in my back garden having a drone buzzing around, mm-hmm. f- you know, hovering and clearly looking at me and looking into my private space. Mm-hmm. Similarly, for companies that may have intellectual property, they're doing something private, they're developing a product, they don't want their competitors flying a drone over of and course. stealing all their info. And so over in America, and probably here as well, security companies are actually starting to deal with this and come up with measures to limit or, or restrict mm-hmm. the problem of drone spying in commercial scenarios or breaching privacy. Different methods are being deployed over there. One is jamming the radio signals. Mm-hmm. That's one possible method. The other is even shotgun cartridges that fit in a conventional shotgun but have nets that explode out of the, uh, of oh, the cartridge yes. yep. and, and that goes over a drone and nets it. Fishing and it, for a drone. Down it comes yeah. down and there's even predator drones which have been developed that can carry a net hover over another smaller drone mm-hmm. and uh, drop the net over it and then they can and recover it on the ground. Now, the so, wars of the sky. Yeah, that's right. They, yeah. happening, yeah. Now, moving on, the UK has unveiled an extremism blocking tool. So this is an AI-based program which can accurately detect jihadist content. So content that is regularly uploaded online, a lot of the time it gets to the deep web, but there are occasions where it gets through to social media platforms or forums. What that's doing is it's trying to recruit people or create division amongst people. Yep. Uh, this, you know, The efforts to police this can be difficult because it tends to come from people reporting such content whereas this AI that has been developed it does actually tackle it on the upload process so at this stage there's talks about trying to enforce social media companies or smaller sites to actually adopt this technology and incorporate it in their website so that if any such content is uploaded it's immediately flagged and then not allowed for posting right it would allow for some content that you know maybe is not sure like if it's uh, needs further identification can then go to a queue which someone can actually have a, a look at that and put their eyes over it mm-hmm. um, at this stage it's not been enforced it's not in play yet i do support this in theory this does then lead to, uh, to questions about what is an open internet and if we start looking at this and and, and yes these videos should be taken down so we've set a, a mark in the sand with this technology does that line move because somebody says well i think uh, pornographic material should not be available online and therefore you know move that mark mm. so at what point do we stop this as horrific as, as these videos can be I agree they should be off but I think there needs to be some clarity around How when it's appropriate yeah, mm, yeah indeed 
A little bit more on social media and particularly with Facebook, they're uh, facing some concerns or issues in Belgium at the moment and there's been a lawsuit which basically Brussels has come out and they've condemned Facebook for not complying with privacy laws. So users of Facebook and even non-users of Facebook are being tracked around the internet. So whatever website you go to, uh, you'll tend to find that there is some tracking software, whether that is from Google or Amazon or eBay or Facebook, Mm. uh, particularly Facebook. Mm. They're tracking what you do, where you look, where you click, what sites you visit, and, and they're collating all that together. So if you're logged into your Facebook account on your browser and then you happen to visit a different site, that information is then fed back into a Facebook profile about you, allowing them to target you for advertising. Um, so it's you know revenue generating for Facebook in the end. But this has huge issues in Belgium where the courts have basically said, no, this is illegal behavior. We uh, expect you to stop this immediately and failing to do so will be a penalty of 250,000 euros per day. Now, Facebook are appealing this decision because they're fundamental business model the way that they make money is by tracking users Mm. so they've got a lot of money in their reserves they can probably continue to fight it we'll keep close eye on this story because i'm not sure how it's going to work out they could probably afford to pay these kind of fines but for how long and you know how long are they going to put up with that and they're they're copping a bit of flack you know there's been a bunch of russians indicted for trying to manipulate the outcome of the presidential election and sort of sow discord using social media in particular facebook and instagram which are both owned by the same company Mm -hmm. they're copping some flack about the ability of their systems which rely on people to be very very focused on Facebook you know that the lure of Facebook is the thing that makes it an Mm -hmm. advertising mecca they are getting some flack about really uh, what their role was and whether they did anything knowingly or, or just whether their systems are vulnerable anyway and whether this could happen again in future elections. And as we reported recently, it was in Q4 of last year, there was a, uh, a net loss yep. uh, of uh, yep. users in Facebook. Like so a million people in North America bailed out. Yeah, and I think uh, even this quarter is sort of on trend to mm. potentially lose more it people as well. might be one well. of those things that has peaked and maybe people are starting to... S- get a little bit over it perhaps potentially I know that that's you know, my scenario mm. as well mm. and just finally from me uh, Snapchat is a social media platform and it's recently gone through a major redesign and that has upset a lot of people around about 83% of uh, users of the platform have come out with quite negative reviews whether that be a one or two star and basically uh, demanding that Snapchat revert back to the previous version of, of the app right. Evan, Evan Spiegel who is the CEO of Snapchat has come out and he's basically said no that's how it is we understand that uh, any user that goes through a, a redesign uh, will adopt it in in time but at this stage it doesn't appear that people are accepting this new redesign and there is has been a bit of an exodus through to instagram stories or other platforms hmm. now Snapchat has gone through a, a series. I mean, they, they raised a lot of capital through a huge IPO that happened years ago. But they have seen dwindling money from uh, you know, advertising. The, the growth is really flatlined there. So that they've been forced to, to make changes. This has been their answer. I don't think it's been a smart move. Snapchat's the app that lets you swap faces and stuff and do all these funny things with your face yeah. and stuff as well. And you send short stories to you know your friends. Yep. What they've done with the new update is, um, I don't use it myself, but they've... Uh, They've separated kind of a, a friend's 
platform with a business platform. So mm. you flick between one or the other and I guess the business platform is all about advertising. So why would you want to be watching all that advertising? Mm. Whereas with the friends, yes, you can sort of send them a short video and I believe that can be that deleted straight after it's sent. Right. Or you can put on those sort of, you know, the, the dog superimposed yeah, augmented reality all faces. These, all these weird things with weird the things with forward it. facing camera on your it, phone. Yeah. It's very popular. My understanding is a lot of the younger people that didn't use Facebook went across to Snapchat and mm. were using that. Mm. It did grow with some more popularity. I've tried it, didn't really love the platform and that was, you know, two years ago. Mm. So we'll keep an eye on that one as well and see what happens over the next 12 months. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.